This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Nomad Futurist. This is your host, Nabil Mahmood from Kona, Hawaii. This is your co-host, Phil Koblenz from Montclair, New Jersey. And this is Jezebel Kilmore from Milton, Massachusetts. Jezebel, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. Before we get started, we want to learn a little bit about you. So at a high level, share your story, share your journey, how you got started and where you're at in your career today. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for asking and thank you for having me here. And, you know, when people ask me how I got started in the internet industry, and it's really purely by chance. I I studied art in college and I, I don't want to part with my art, so which makes it really hard to make a living if you don't want to sell any of your art. And, and so a friend of mine or someone I was working with from a job had said, hey, you want to come and join me at this company uh, that I'm starting? And I said, oh, which is this company? And it's, it turns out to the company's name is AboveNet and it does the internet business. And I said, okay, well, I don't really know much about the internet. So, you know, what, what can I do? And I met a few people inside the company. And one of them, who is a very dear friend of mine today, his name is Justin Newton. He said, you know, I see the internet as the renaissance of today's world. And basically the internet is the printing press of today's world, allows us to distribute information and to and allow it to proliferate worldwide to the underprivileged ever. And so I thought to myself, if I'm able to allow people to gain access to information, therefore giving them the power to utter themselves to learn their own at their own times, what could be better is there to do in the world? So I, I knew nothing about technology. I, I didn't know anything about the internet other than, you know, I can get online. And I just jumped in both feet with both feet and started in the industry. What, uh, what, what year was that? Uh, 1998. Right. So, right. So, so you're not, you weren't alone in not knowing what the internet was. The rest of the world also didn't know much about uh, what the internet was and certainly what it would become, I would imagine. What did you do before that, before 1998, before starting with AboveNet? I worked for a law firm. And so AboveNet was a client of the firm. And prior to that, I was in school. (laughs) And what did you go to school for? Fine art. I learned to paint, sculpt, and I can, I, I have mastered the multimedia art, but in physical format, not digital. I was not progressive enough to recognize or actually my school didn't even offer digital art back then. So, um, everything I did was, you know, oil, acrylic, watercolor, clay, metal, all kinds of medium in 2D and 3D art. 
That's awesome. Totally ahead of your time. Totally ahead of your time. Where did you grow up? Oh, so I grew up in Beijing, China. I was born and raised in Beijing. And it's obviously very different than uh, what we have here. And because I grew up with so little um, resources, not not resources as in love in people in my life who gave me um, everything that I could really ask for. But in China, the opportunities and the freedom and access to information and knowledge just is not the same as we have when I came to the U.S. So it's truly valuable to me to have the ability to access information so freely the way that we have. And thus, you know, having the ability to work on the Internet and providing access to information was so close to my heart, dear and close to my heart. So that's no, here I am. From, from an early age in, in, in Beijing, did you know you wanted to go into art? Did you have other, other interests? Was that, you know, something that was embraced by, by your family? Is it something that they supported? Well, so my family is divided into two different halves, right? From my mother's side, they were all into arts. So performing arts, literature arts, and as I, you know, I have my grandfather was artistic director for the China Theater, the Capital Theater of Beijing. And my uncle has won the Golden Rooster Award, which is like the Oscar uh, of China. Um, he's a director for movies and TV series. My aunt is a uh, writer, so she writes scripts for movies and TV series and such. So, you know, I, I and my grandmom was... Um, extremely well-known actress uh, in China. So uh, I certainly had that influence. I remember when I was little in my grandfather's living room, my mom used to tell me, just sit in the corner quietly and watch because he would do rehearsals in our living room, you know, for some of the biggest plays that's coming up in the capital and with some of the incredible talents that he has in the cast. And I would just sit there watch, watching the interactions and uh, how they're able to bring the emotions and the scenarios to life. And I think that's really impacted me and my life and how I interact with others and recognize uh, the facial expressions, the, the deep emotion that one is able to, um, to access, you know, and to affect others. So. Um, is art just something that that's natural to me as a career, as a, uh, yes. But on the other half of my family, you know, my father's side, everybody's in education, in science, in computers. It's, it's a very different uh, aspect of, you know, so left and right brain. And I, I've sort of got both uh, a little bit of both in, um, I mean, if they, if, they, if they were making someone in a lab that was designed to be as successful as possible in the modern age, I think they'd make Jezebel Gilmore. I mean, my God, what a, what a perfect combination. Exactly. Oh, you are too kind. You're too kind. So how old were you when you moved to the United States? And what, you, what brought you out here besides exploring opportunities and experiences? I came when I was in my late teens and my mom was here in school studying for her graduate degree 
and she was studying American theaters to be a director. And she brought me out because she said, if you didn't come out to study English, you will not be able to speak English without an accent. And if you want to be able to study in the United States and work here, you will need to be able to wield language as if you were native. I fought tooth and nail because I, I don't know if you remember when you were in your late teens, all your friends, you know, that you're familiar with. I didn't want to leave. I didn't speak English. So I, I didn't want to come to the United States. And it was, uh, it was very hard because she dropped me off at boarding school with my dictionaries and my suitcases. And she's like, I'll see you in six months. And I hope <laughs> you were able to speak English at least somewhat when it come pick you up. Talk about well, being thrown into the deep end, huh? <laughs> yes. So I, I went everywhere with my dictionary, paper dictionary, because there were no electronic dictionary. It's not like you can Google Translate stuff like you are today. So, well, it certainly helped it a was, lot. She was forward thinking. Absolutely. You know, what doesn't kill you uh, makes you stronger, right? So <laughs> I, I think I had a temporary hatred to, towards my family and my life at that moment. But, you know, we're extremely adaptable and resilient. And I think that taught me that, you know, it's really all in your mind and nothing's going to get you down unless you let let it so all right so let's go back into your career so above ned and i see that you actually went to different technology companies thereafter tell us a little about what you do today in your current role well i am the chief commercial officer for packet fabric and so i drive sales in the basically everything that is in relation to um you know revenue for pocket fabric. Let me tell you what I've always loved about you. This is not going to always be all praiseful, I promise, and it'll, it'll get difficult. But I remember the first time I heard you speak, which was at an event in Chicago. I think it was at uh, QTS. I think it was the first time I heard you speak. I don't remember what year it was. The last two years feel like both six months ago and 20 years. So it's kind of difficult depending on what moment it is. But what, what I was struck by was kind of, you know, there was passion, there was, you know, the articulation of really complex technologies, but at a level that everyone could, could understand that I think could only be achieved by someone who, you know, certainly grew up in a family that uh, was not afraid of the stage, but also by someone that had to learn essentially as an adult in an environment where, you know, there was no ability to to, to learn other than by doing, because, you know, we're, we, we just got lucky. Our generation got lucky that we just happened to exist at the time when the internet was, was kind of at its forefront, but die drive over my praise of you will never cease, but that that'll be, uh, that that'll be it for now. How much of that kind of coming into a world, not knowing anything, absorbing all of that information with, you know, using a language that you've learned, the experiences that you had, how much of those kind of differing experiences do you think has driven, you know, the success that you have found? Well, first of all, because I, you know, I, I appreciate you saying those kind of words. Um, coming into the internet industry, 
it's a very intimidating experience, right? To me, I was told that the internet, when I first joined, the internet is run by Batman with beard. So, which they're not really wrong because a lot of people that work on the internet, you know, had the appearance of maybe Batman with beard. And if Audra um, called the Batman with beard, it's, it's merely characteristic. Although I have to say that things have gotten so much more diverse uh, now, right? Some of those guys have shaved. But, <laughs> and lost me to learn to be healthy. So, but and it along for women in the industry, right? And but what people are um, not pandemic pedantic, but I guess what I was. They're very factual. People are factual. People are argumentative almost. So sometimes I was afraid to talk and people are afraid to ask questions because they don't want to be challenged and they don't want to have somebody who seem to have really strong personalities to bark back at them. But sometimes I just felt like if I don't understand this concept, at this level, that there's no way that I can understand the concept at the, any other level. So I will, I'm willing to be the stupid, stupid person and ask the question that somebody may think it's stupid, but I have to be able to understand because otherwise I can't move on and with what I'm trying to accomplish. And to me, it's much more important for me to accomplish what I'm trying to do than, uh, protect my ego, where in Chinese words, it's called face saving, right? Trying to save my face. So, and I often just blurt it out, you know, what does that even mean? Like, how, how does that work? What does that mean? And most of the time, people actually are really kind and supportive. And because I didn't learn necessarily from a textbook, from an engineering perspective, and because I come from asking those questions, I always feel it's really important to support others in how, and respond in a way that other people could understand that I'm not trying to sound smart. I'm not trying to make myself feel better. I'm really trying to help others and help myself accomplish something. So <clears throat> that's the reason why, Philip, that I always try to explain in the simplest way possible and you know, to help people understand certain concepts. And I always try to think from their perspective, when I work with my team, our team, we always, you know, the first thing I tell them is put yourself in your audience's shoes. It's not about what we do. It's about what they want. And so you have to be able to articulate the idea in the way that they want to receive it, because otherwise it's not useful and it's waste of yours and their time. I think uh, it's a, it's a brilliant point. You know, I I I always when I'm talking to to someone, I I always try to tell them like explain it to me like I'm a toddler, and and that's the thing. That's the thing about actually having a piece of knowledge and not having a piece of ego. It's if you can explain it to a toddler, if you can make them understand it, then that fundamentally proves your own understanding of it. If you can't explain it on those fundamental levels, then you're just trying to confuse everyone and overcomplicate it and, and just ride on the back that people don't want to expose themselves as not knowing something because 
you know, you're just confusing them to death. And sometimes when I'm in a meeting also, I'll say the same thing. I'll say, you know, stop with all the fancy words, use single syllable words and tell me what you're talking about, because I have no idea what you're talking about. Maybe that makes me tell you. But at the end of the day, if you can't explain it to me in a way that I can understand it, that reflects more on you than it does on me. So I think it's it's a brilliant point. And my last question about that particular thing what it would be, do you think that if your mom didn't drop you off at that school in the U.S. for six months in a strange country with a strange language where you essentially had to adapt that type of methodology, do you think you would have the same kind of outlook and the same kind of reasoned approach as well, like if you stayed in Beijing and was that the way you were with, with information even earlier in, in your life? I like to think that is within me, but, you know, it's hard to say, right? I, I'm a pretty strong-minded person and anyone that knows me knows I'm super stubborn. <laughs> uh, and being an entrepreneur, you know, you are literally uh, getting up every morning, put yourself through, you know, a set of potential failures and to get up from every one of those potentially and keep on moving. And and so, like I said, I like to think that even if that didn't happen, I'd still be the person that I am today. But it certainly is an experience that strengthened me as an individual. Let's talk about your journey in technology and where we're at in a career. Looking at your profile, you've had the opportunity of working with a few tech companies. You are involved in Nanog as one of their board of directors. When you left a job, like GTT was your last job, 2015. You left a job, you started a company. What was that experience like? For starters, why did you do that? Secondly, how did you feel about it? It's, it's a massive undertaking. It's a big risk from leaving a cushy, comfortable job in a nice, easy career to starting something from scratch. Could you share your journey and your experience? But the record show that Nabil thinks that being a GDT was cushy. I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> being a GTT certainly wasn't cushy, but, you know, but then Nabil's not wrong comparing you know, what I did at GTT to comparing what we're doing at Packafabric, it certainly was way cushy. <laughs> How did I feel about leaving GTT to come build Packafabric? I, you know, I, I felt that there's something that needs to happen in the industry and needs to happen for the rest of the world the way that I felt that the internet needs to happen and needs to have people work on it to make it better and to make it global, to make it accessible for everyone. And that's how I felt about Packet Fabric and the way to access infrastructure as a service, network as a service needs to happen automatically and in the way that it's flexibly and on demand. So I, I had to leave GTT because no one else was doing it. Was it scary? Were you scared? Scary? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that there are many nights I question myself, uh, did I do the right thing? You know, should I find a job? Is the, you know, 
why am I putting myself through this? And, but at the end of the day, I was on a panel with Carrie Gilder, who's the CEO of Colt. And she said, you know, the moderator asked, you know, what, what makes uh, a company successful? What are you doing to, you know, make your company successful? She said that as a leader, you need to give everyone in the company a purpose. I had a purpose. I could had a purpose. We, we were passion driven. We were purpose driven. And, and that's, I think, um, what kept us going and that keeps us going every day. It touches on another fundamental point that I think is, is so difficult to capture in our industry, which is passion, right? I mean, it's, it, it's just. You know, there are the ability, you, you have the ability to work, you know, as a spoke in a wheel in, in, a, in what would traditionally be referred to as a job, but especially in our world, which tends to be kind of a 24 seven world, there's not really a lot of downtime. No, uh, there's hopefully there's not any downtime, but there's not a lot of, you know, non-participation, if you will, in, in, in our world. You spend so much of your time working that if you're not passionate about it, that you're not almost matter of fact about, you know, making it a part of your life that you can embrace as opposed to just the job, then, you know, you haven't really found the right thing that, you, that, that you're doing. Do you find that to be the case with you? I mean, it, you finding your purpose, finding your passion and, and clearly, you know, the way you talk about it is, it, you know, is, is in that way. But I want to I want to make sure. Well, yes, <laughs> uh, absolutely. I think that I found my passion, but I also, I'm very lucky. I surround myself with people who are equally passionate about what we're doing. And I think that the energy that I get doing what I do, interacting with the people, you know, my husband included, the people that I work with across industry, everybody's trying to create a better internet. You know, uh, Nabil talked about, Nanog, right? How I participate as a part of the Nanog community because people come together trying to build a better internet to support a better world. And at the end of the day, I believe in collaboration and the internet allows us to collaborate. Packet Fabric allows, you know, companies to collaborate and communities allow all of us to come together to collaborate. And, and, and that's the whole purpose in, you know, I think I read in one of the books recently from Brennett Rash, he said that, you know, what really um, validates our day and us as individuals are the connections that we make. And so that collaboration is one of the key ways that we make, we build those connections with others and allow us to expand those connections. and. So yes, 24-7 and, you know, my, my spouse my, <laughs> and all my friends and, you know, people I work with, we all sort of circle around the access of making the internet and the world a better place. You need to make me cry. Uh, the the oh. core message that I've learned out of it is identifying and finding your passion and pursuing, pursuing happiness just in general. And surrounding yourself with people that are like-minded and eliminating the, the negativity or any negative influence for that matter and, and doing things for a reason. I think what happens in general is that 
people and, and socially speaking, we get taught about getting a job or finding a career with very little direction. And you end up being a doctor or you end up being a computer scientist, whatever the case might be. And there isn't really any passion. It's, it's, it's a job. That's why it's called a job. So if you're able to find that, you will be successful. Great journey. Great story. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. What I want to know is the industry has changed 1998 to now, the old, ugly, hairy, whatever that definition was with a corner office under a stairwell to now actually having a corner office with a view. Industry totally transformed in the last 20 plus years. It's significantly changed the last two years. We are not where we were 20 years ago. We're talking 14 and a half kilobits per second to now. Phil's got a dedicated gig port to his desk. Where do you see the future? And also for you personally speaking, being a minority, being a woman and English not being your first language, coming to the United States and establishing yourself, are we more welcoming people, younger generations for underserved or underdeveloped countries or regions? Are we opening up as an industry? So great question, right? One, I think you asked, do I, so first of all, do I feel the industry is more welcoming now? Yes. Lots of changed. Well, the industry has just built it in now. So of course it's more welcome. <laughs> well, I am not the only one. There's incredible leaders, men and women, right, that are working on the equality, the diversity, and spearheading so many different efforts. But I think that one thing that I would say is we are our own worst enemies. We often are what to get in our own way. So don't let your accent, if you have one where you have not, right, and that the perfection is your enemy. So don't think, oh, I, I don't think that I will be able to speak as eloquently as I want to, so I'm not going to speak, or that I I don't understand this. I, I don't want to ask about it and sound stupid. So uh, go out there and ask questions. Be yourself. And I think that had I had the courage to ask more questions and, you know, be myself more, be authentic, I could be even better, right? The world will be a better place. We're not the same. We shouldn't be the same. We should feel freely to express ourselves. And so ask questions and make friends and um, go out there and be daring. And that's, you know, that's the advice that I would give. Go do the things and don't be afraid to fail because we all fail at some point and have the ability to fail and get up and learn from it. What do we call it, Phil? First attempt in learning? It's first attempt in learning. Yep. Just about technology is evolving every day. There's something new that pops up by the second. How do you keep up with all the change? How do you go about learning and staying and having these technical conversations internally and externally? <laughs> I, I live and breathe 
by technology. I, I think from the moment I open my eyes, I am reading and I'm listening. So, you know, there's not a single moment of my day that there isn't some sort of information intake while I'm awake. And I, although I did say that I, I try to listen to Audible when I'm asleep, it didn't really work because I don't, I don't actually actively recall anything. I was told that you still get the content. Didn't work for me. Maybe it works for better people. I usually uh, sleep. I, I sleep on, I sleep on, I put a, pill, a, a book under my pillow and I figure by osmosis, some of the information will be. <laughs> but I am always, you know, learning and absorbing information, trying to stay on top um, of what's happening in um, having conversations with friends. So what's really helped me is I have a lot of friends in the industry and we're basically challenging each other. Did you see this? Did you see that? What did you think? And I was thinking this, is that doable? You know, how do you like your info, right? Like, and what about the feature? What about this application? And I wanted to do that. Is that something that there's an app or a device or a service out there that we can use? Leverage your network. We're not alone. Nobody succeeds by themselves. So again, it goes back to, you know, collaboration, communication, exchange of ideas. And when we win, we win together. In, you know, it's not an individualistic world. So many sound bites in this, uh, in this podcast. I'm not going to really make t-shirts. An entire line of t-shirts. The, uh, you are, if nothing else, an incredibly social being. I think our um, industry sometimes gets painted with this, you know, kind of antisocial, you know, personalities. People don't really like to leave their basements. You know, they're hiding behind their computer screens. And, you know, I think you would agree that, you know, the social interaction we have with each other, both at, at, at an industry, at, you know, at industry events are, are some of the most fulfilling, some of the most fun times that we have really in our careers and our personal lives. How has the last two years of being in kind of pandemic mode either reinforced that or changed that? How do you maintain that social connection? Speak for yourself. Don't let me speak to you, but I'm going to assume that you find is so important in, in your day-to-day -day career. Yes. And so first of all, uh, maybe a, a little known fact, I'm not really an extrovert. I'm an introvert. I I really enjoyed my uh, alone time and my one-on-one -on -one interactions with people. However, I do find that pushing your boundary as an individual is really important. I'm also afraid of heights and I do a lot of sports pushing myself to get to higher altitudes just so that I can uh, push myself. And I do, as I have pushed myself to be more social, I learn to enjoy the interactions with people because you learn the sincerity of people, the information that you share, how you are helping others and how others are helping you. And so what started as a challenge has grown into an enjoyment and a passion that I depend on. So we said the last two years was a pandemic, was a challenging, absolutely. But 
people reach out, friends reach out. We set up Zooms. We, you know, I had a bubble that I communicate with that in person at home. And, but it just taught, you know, the, the pandemic taught me more one on the importance of the internet, having the ability to be able to reach our friends globally and having the ability to get on Zoom and see each other. Can you imagine that if this happened in the 80s or the 70s? Or even probably thousands. I mean, it's just not, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how this hit us at just the right time where as a society, as an industry, we were able to kind of maintain communications in, 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 in a way that, you know, it, obviously we were disrupted, but it, it certainly minimized or blunted some of that disruption, both, you know, scholastically with, you know, with, 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 with schooling, with, you know, e-health, e-medicine, you know, being able to see your doctor over Zoom and obviously, you know, on, on the business side. Absolutely. And I think that the, the pandemic also accelerated, you know, the adoption of many of the services that were just in its infantry, such as telemedicine, right, such as video conferencing for uh, home use. But it, it also taught me that reach out to the people that you're thinking of, because they may be thinking of you and they may feel uh, as isolated as you and they may not have the ability to, or the competence to reach out, right? So take the action that you wish others would take. And I think, you know, Nike says, just do it. There's a, there's a reason to, so to me, I, you know, I get up every day, I'm like, okay, just do it. You know, don't, don't be shy and do it. Let's, let's go. All right. That's a wonderful message. Last question for you. What would you do differently knowing what you know about yourself and the industry that uh, you become uh, a part of? Believe in yourself. And when you have an instinct about something and whether it's right or wrong, right? And you think something's right or something's wrong, follow your instinct that there's a reason for it. And, you know, go dig for data. Don't be lazy and don't let other people convince you so easily that you're wrong. And I'm not saying that your instincts are always right, but there's a reason why that we have those instincts and follow your instincts and do the work and you'll be successful. Jezebel, thank you very much for telling such a wonderful story. I mean, this fits with the premise of Nomad Futurist. We want to create awareness and demystify technology for the younger generation and open up an opportunity for people and kids around the world to collaborate, work and create positivity to make this place a better place. Thank you very much again for being on the Nomad Features podcast and sharing your journey with us. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having me. And, you know, I, you guys are doing amazing work. So I, I'm glad to be a part of it. Thank you. This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back. Currencies will rebound. Businesses will go on. And we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic 
will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.